Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Today, we are joined by John Riley, the Global Chief Strategy Officer for Dentsu Commerce. We're discussing the disruptions and takeaways from the results of COVID-19, how industries such as travel, grocery, and healthcare move forward, and the effect of Generation Z as they become the largest consumer cohort. It's all here on Millennium Live. Thank you so much for being here. We're so happy to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, just before I jump in, can you just give us a little bit of background on you and of Dentsu? Of course. So uh, Dentsu is one of the world's largest advertising companies. I specifically work in the commerce division where we focus on helping brands and retailers uh, realize their commerce journeys because everything when we come down to it is, to put it very bluntly, exchanging money for stuff. And we help brands, retailers, consumer product goods companies figure out how to do that better, whether it's in the physical sense or a digital sense. And then me personally, I've been in e-commerce since before we called it e-commerce. I founded and sold a couple of companies in the 1990s, one of which Amazon, uh, where I went to work and then bounced around for several other companies, startups, Fortune 500s, went back to Amazon and ran their first party electronics division for e-commerce and user experience. And now I am at Dentsu Commerce. Oh, wow. Okay. So obviously commerce is going to be the topic of this conversation and COVID-19 is a huge topic right now too. So I think it'd be a pretty reckless understatement to say that commerce has been disrupted by COVID-19. What do you think are some big takeaways from that? Well, overnight, anything that could be sold online had to be sold online and no one could have predicted uh, how that was going to shake out. You know, if you were get in your time machine and go back to December 31st, 2019, uh, none of us had any idea this was coming. And then a quarter later, we are all in our homes, trying to figure out how to get basic staples like toilet paper and soup and crushing the internet and trying to find ways to do that. And the other side of that is brands, retailers, uh, retail companies are trying to figure out how to get products and services to customers from their warehouses with limited, limited ability to have staffing, limited ability to be able to use their digital tools in order to showcase their wares. Is their website up to date? Is it ready to support instant e-commerce? So I think the takeaway is many companies were on what we call in this business digital transformation journeys, which is lingo for, I need to figure out how to sell things better online. Most companies were doing that to a certain extent, but I think the takeaway from this is that Every brand, every retailer, if you sell something, you have to be able to do 100% of that on the internet because if you don't, one of your competitors will. So, you know, we often talk about this new normal, the new world. What do you think the future holds for the new world and how soon do you think that will come? Well, the tricky part about that is it's, you know, we all, I think we thought we were pretty good at predicting the future before all of this happened. And then all of this happened and now none of us know what the heck is going on. That's absolutely the case is in terms of e-commerce and e-commerce penetration and being people being comfortable with doing business on the internet, we achieved five, seven, 10 years of progress in five, seven, 10 months of time. And as a result, over the course of the next decade, it'll be interesting to see what impacts that has in terms of people's comfort with doing business digitally. Because before, take your grocery store, for example. 
most people still didn't do business digitally with their grocery store. They still went to the grocery, they walked around with the cart. And now we think about that and go, I'm not really that comfortable with doing that. And all of a sudden grocers are like, wait a minute, we wanted digital, but we weren't ready for 50% of our customers to do that. In addition to that, all of the brands that had their entire uh, futures based on where they sat on the shelves and whether they were next to this cereal or that cereal or this soup or that soup are now facing a world where everything's with our little mouse or even better, where's my phone, uh, using my telephone because this is now our window to the world. Um, the byproduct of that is we don't go shopping anymore. We are always shopping because I'm sitting on my couch watching Netflix and I'm multitasking, looking at things on Amazon and on Kroger.com, trying to do some shopping. Okay. Lastly, we add on that we are in the midst of the largest generational shift we've seen since World War II. As Generation Z is coming into the marketplace, they are matriculating at the rate between three and four million a year to the point where they're now already 40% of consumers. By 2023, will be over 50% of consumers, and they have never lived in a world without two-day shipping, and many of them have never lived in a world without 30-minute shipping. No brands are ready for that. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy ride for the next five years to see where that pans out. Absolutely. So you're talking about these other brands, and I think a huge question would be, can anyone really compete with the big companies such as Amazon or Walmart? Or is that just all sewn up? Um, so like last year, I might have said a different thing than I would say today. And I think one of the things that has occurred here is an equalization of expectations. And I say that through the lens of um, Amazon bet everything on one day shipping. They spent in the neighborhood of $5 billion in 2019 to create a one day shipping empire across the United States. And then thanks to COVID, they couldn't do that anymore. We couldn't get products and services from their warehouses to their customers in one day. And so all of a sudden, everybody got used to getting things in three and four days again. It's okay, I don't need it right now. So that set expectations into a different place. I think the benefit for most companies now is, hey, wait, I don't have to compete with Amazon's shipping empire. Instead, I just need to find ways to add value in different ways to try and bring them to my store versus Amazon or Walmart. And just to break those two apart for a moment, if I use Walmart as a use case, Walmart in 2014 was in a tough spot. They still didn't get digital. They were lumbering around with a website that they, many in their company felt was still competing with their brick and mortar stores, when in reality, that's not the case. In 2016, they spent $3.5 billion on Jet.com and sort of a midlife crisis kind of purchase. They just didn't get digital. And then Amazon bought Whole Foods and sent a ripple through the entire grocery industry because 25% of, or sorry, 50% of Walmart's revenues is grocery and they were the largest grocery in the United States. So they said, we have to reinvent the way we do, or do things here. And they did. And now they're killing it. They are the top online grocer in the country. They have an outstanding digital presence. And Walmart's a great example of you don't necessarily need to be afraid of the big guys. You just have to do what you do better and find ways to reach your customers. Right, that makes sense. So you, prior to the last question, had mentioned that the next five years are going to be really interesting to see. And there's a lot of new technology looming in the horizon. So what do you see changing in the next three to five to 10 years? So the fun thing about predicting the future is you're never wrong. You're either <laughs> right and you look like a genius or you're wrong and it wasn't your fault. But uh, 
if we weren't talking about COVID right now, we would be talking about 5G. And I don't mean 5G and the fact that it gives you COVID, but rather 5G is going to leap us forward in terms of connectivity technology, the way that cable modems did in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And everything, if you look around your office or your house, everything that you have in your house will be connected to the internet. And that's both kind of creepy, but also kind of cool because it gives those companies that you do business with ways to serve you better. So for example, if I pick up this can of water I have on my desk here, I would self-report that I drank every drop of it and I recycled it. When in reality, I drank a third of it, I put some more water in there, I didn't drink all of that, and I maybe didn't get it all the way to the recycle bin. Now, that's not an indictment on my behavior, but rather gives that brand useful information to be able to offer me goods and services in a different way. In addition to that, when all of these devices are now communicating with their home as well as one another, there is going to need mountains of data to try and go through. And the downside of that is, what are we gonna do with all of this data? You know, we all have that experience where we think about something and then all of a sudden we see a Facebook ad for it, which is probably, you know, that's a, that's a coincidence. However, that type of technology will be pretty close to available here in just a few years. So for brands and retailers to find that fine line between, oh, that's awesome, I was just thinking about it, and whoa, that's creepy, I don't want that brand knowing that I was thinking about that, that's gonna be the tricky part, and 5G is gonna give them the ability to do that. And I can't overestimate the amount of data that we're talking about, so over the course of the conversation here, it's, you know, we've been talking for about 15 minutes. We have generated more data in that 15 minutes than was generated in 2010. That's the kind of information that we're talking about. And when everything in the room, like the peanut butter jar across the room from me or my television or anything else is also consuming data, it's gonna create mountains of information about our habits that retailers can use. So that's gonna be an interesting thing in terms of technology. Next, I'm not saying that all we're gonna be wearing goggles and everything and going into the matrix to be able to do our shopping. However, this type of transaction that we're having right now is creating a social construct where we're now comfortable with having interactions with people in a virtual sense. And we as a society have been trying to do this for 50 years. You know, watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, they're having a conversation in a video call, nobody really cared for it, but now we're comfortable with it. So it'll be interesting to see where this type of technology goes. Once again, probably not helmets in the matrix, but something pretty similar to that, where we can have augmented reality in a real sense. Um, it's gonna be cool to see what happens. Absolutely. It sounds cool. So we'll just have to sit here and wait and see what happens. Indeed. But I would like to bring up something that happened in the news last week. I mean, it was pretty big. JCPenney was bought at the last minute by one of the largest mall operators in the country. So what do you think this means for physical retail? Is the mall dead? Um, no. Um, the mall's just going to change. And so the mall, we, it's easy for us to forget that the mall was the cutting edge thing in the 1980s. And everybody thought, oh, wow, you mean I can have every store I go to all in one place? That's kind of super cool. And I can walk around inside with an orange Julius and a hot dog. That's great. And now we don't really care about that anymore because one, we don't go to malls because we could get everything delivered to our house. And then two, we'll factor in the current you know, elephant in the room and COVID. Do we really want to be doing that? We know that COVID is going to pass. We will return to some sense of normal. But that mall thing is still kind of a, you know, it's a rock around a lot of people's necks. And uh, 
the reflection of JCPenney, JCPenney's story is a long story of a typical retailer that tried to create digital transformation like I talked about earlier, struggled to meet its customers where they needed to be. And it was nobody's real fault. It wasn't JCPenney's fault. They acted quickly. It wasn't their consumer's fault. They just wanted to interact with the brand differently. Um, it's actually probably pretty similar to a Sears style story where it was a catalog based business and then moved into retail. So Simon buying JCPenney is a good move because that one protects their largest tenant and two gives them the ability to do different things with it. And also in the news a couple of weeks ago was that Amazon was in you know, conversations with Simon to create mini distribution centers within their properties. So now if we look at a future of, you know, what's a JCPenney look like if it's a partner with Amazon? So if we sort of take the Kohl's partnership that Kohl's has with Amazon today and take it to the next level, you know, perhaps there's instant fulfillment of Amazon goods while you're shopping at JCPenney, those types of things. And then that becomes pretty interesting. Um, next, shopping malls are a lot of retail, you know, there's a lot of space there. There's the last number I saw, 1,400 square feet of retail space for every man, woman, and child in North America. That's a lot of space. Now, what do you do with all of that? If you don't necessarily have to store the goods there, and once again, coming back to our expectations and social constructs, if we're com comfortable with shopping and getting something again later, then maybe they become experience centers. Maybe that becomes a way to showcase some of this new technology I talked about earlier of augmented reality or, oh, isn't that cool? Maybe that's where I put the helmet on to experience things. And they can become community centers even. Um, so I do think that malls will absolutely change over the course of the next 10 years. No question about that. But a lot of my colleagues and uh, compatriots in this business are forecasting doom and gloom for malls. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's more of a renaissance. And in any renaissance, you have to tear down the old to build the new. Absolutely. And I like that positivity as well. <laughs> so aside from the slowdown due to coronavirus and the last mile delivery has been really slow and moving at a brisk pace of, I guess, innovation and speed. What do you think is next there? And what does it mean for these customers? Well, the funny thing is I literally just posted a thing on LinkedIn today that now Walmart's getting into the drone business. So you have Amazon just got approval from the FAA to deliver things by drone. Walmart's starting to play with that. Drones are a great example of one of those, if you Five years ago, actually, it's probably a little longer than that now, but say seven years ago, if you said, hey, you know what, boss, we're going to have miniature helicopters and they're going to fly around town and they're going to bring, bring people donuts, they would be checking your water bottle to make sure that you weren't drinking on the job. But there we are. And that's now what people think. I want to get my, you know, my Slurpee delivered to me by a helicopter. Um, that is still science fiction. And there's lots of reasons for that. It's not practical to have drones flying all over the place. Um, we have enough issues with drones as it is with people using them as a hobby thing. However, different ways of bringing people goods, and I mentioned this when we talked about the JCPenney thing, of delivering goods in that last mile, I think you're gonna see a lot of innovation in that. It won't necessarily be robots and flying machines, but rather just sort of different ways of getting you your product. So maybe you do go to the shopping mall and pick it up. Um, Amazon played with that with their Amazon Locker program, where you could get your packages someplace where you already were, the drugstore, um, your university, et cetera. Um, next, I think you may see a lot more uh, robots in very specific senses, like for example, UPS, when they come to your neighborhood to deliver your goods, 
that brown truck's not necessarily going to drive around your whole your whole neighborhood. And in my neighborhood here in Corpus Christi, Texas, um, the way it works is there's a giant like shipping container on the edge of the neighborhood and they come and fill that thing up every day and then people come in golf carts and drive around and deliver it. So that's better for the environment because those golf carts are electric. It's less impact because they're not filling up the roads. And it's a gateway to that could probably be done by an autonomous machine driving around and dropping off those packages. And I know that there were some uh, uh, some proof of concept projects done between Ford Motor Company and Amazon playing with that type of technology. And they even had a prototype in Seattle get, trying this out before all this happened. So we'll see what happens with that. Of course, the wrinkle with that is it's one thing to deliver things by robot in nice, clear, sunny Corpus Christi, Texas. It's a completely different thing to try and do that in New Jersey in December. So, you know, we'll have to find the fine tuning on that. But uh, the next few years, there's definitely going to be some interesting innovation in last mile. Absolutely. So this is not to say that you haven't been talking about many interesting things so far. But my question for you is, have you heard recently of any new and interesting things in terms of commerce in the coming years that you haven't yet mentioned? I think I would say that you'll probably have a lot of different ways to get things. And I don't mean that in a, in a robot's going to bring it to your house, but you'll see brands, retailers partnering in different ways where they wouldn't necessarily think they would. And one of the things that sort of came out of COVID is a understanding that companies have in terms of what their weak spots are and where they can bond together in order to create stronger units. Um, so for example, you know, if I had um, Coca-Cola or something, you know, Coca-Cola is not something I'm necessarily going to go to a .com and buy that. I'm not necessarily going to go, you know, to Coke.com and buy my Coke, as opposed to getting it from 7-Eleven who can deliver it to me with a helicopter. But if Coke were to find a way with their massive power to offer me services that augmented that, you know, like a marketplace type thing, almost like Amazon does, but on a much more focused, specific scale, then I would interact more with that. So that value exchange of some large brand partnering with another large brand. I think we're going to see more of that over the course of the next few years as brands realize that they're stronger together than apart. And we've seen that in a limited sense so far. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example and I'm coming up short, but uh, Amazon's success of being a marketplace was that it realized that it needed to move beyond just selling books and music in order to become the store that they want to. Jeff Bezos's vision is to be the store for everything. He uses the analogy of the Jetsons from the 60s where Judy Jetson would sit in front of her computer and it would come, things would show up from a tube and she'd never really think about where it came from, it just appeared. And I think that that vision that Amazon has puts a lot of brands in a place where they don't wanna be that. Coke still wants to be Coke and Frito-Lay still wants to be Frito-Lay. So if those brands can partner together to provide services that I'm actually interested in, um, that's going to be a win for all parties. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. That's exciting. I, I think it'll be a win for everyone too. Yeah. So we have talked a lot about just the traditional brands and retailers, but many other sectors of the world are also doing a lot more business online. So what do you think is the future for maybe healthcare or travel in this now new e-commerce setting? Well, the same thing I talked about earlier where everything overnight had to be able to be done on the internet affects all sectors. It's not just a, I need to find a way to get my, you know, my Coke online, but I need to find a way to interact with my healthcare company online. I need to find a way to interact with my telecommunications company online. 
I need to manage my energy online. And so as a result, that same equalization that I talked about earlier in terms of expectations for shipping and when I get things also works in the other direction in that it's not really fair for me to measure my experience with my healthcare company against my experience with Amazon, but I do it. And I didn't do it before, but I do now. And that I think will drive a lot of companies in different sectors to have to innovate way faster than they had planned to before. So if you went to your average you know, cell phone company or automobile company would be a good example of that. An automobile company wouldn't expect, I mean, they would have things to be able to go, oh, wow, I can put the you know, green, green interior with the tan car and it looks super cool. Actually, I'd probably go the other direction. But the point being that I wouldn't be expected to actually buy the car on the internet. And now I have to, I have to do that. Mm -hmm. So in that world, I think you're going to see a lot of companies racing forward in a way that brands did in the early 2000s when they realized, oh my gosh, there's this internet thing. We have to figure out how to sell on this internet thing. And now that expectation is going to move beyond just physical goods to things like cars, to things like healthcare. And maybe if I have an outstanding experience with one healthcare company and not another, I'm going to pick the one that's easy to deal with, right? Because right. if I have to fill out a lot of paperwork and do all this stuff, I'm going to go, why do I want to do that? You know, I can, it can be, you know, it puts the power of choice in my hands as the consumer. And I think you're going to see companies all across the spectrum be affected by that. Absolutely. So I just have one more question for you. And I'm curious what you think the effect of Generation Z will be when they become the largest consumer cohort. Do you think that their needs and expectations are really that much different from the millennials? Definitely. Um, it's funny, something I run into a lot is I hear companies talk about millennials this, millennials that, and millennials are, you know, they're 35. They have mortgages, they have kids. You know, a lot of them on the really upper part of the scale are gonna be grandparents here pretty soon. They, that ship has sailed. And if you don't get millennials, then you have bigger problems. Generation Z on the other hand is a completely different generation. And, you know, this is another example of something I probably wouldn't have said a year ago, where millennials were, they got the short end of the stick thanks to the financial crisis in 2008. And at the time in 2019, we predicted that Generation Z would be not quite as frugal as their millennial counterparts. However, thanks to this, it remains to be seen what the effects of the COVID era will be on them. We're also starting to learn more about them as a generation specifically because the funny thing about generation naming is it changes as you move. So generation Z is currently anyone born after the year 2000. Um, the problem is that a lot of those folks are, you know, a little bit cusps in what we are now calling generation alpha, which are people who are born after 2010, who have a completely different viewpoint. And those people are now even affecting purchases. Strange to think that 10 year olds are affecting purchases, but they absolutely do. Um, so it remains to be seen what the impact of the social changes we're going through, um, the massive upheaval we see in the country, in the United States, specifically North America in general, um, but even Europe and Asia over the course of the next 18 months to say well, that impact is what they're gonna do in 2025. But thus far we've seen that they have no loyalty to brands. Anybody under the age of 25 has zero interest in a brand unless there is some value exchange of, I wanna do business with this company because I like them for some reason. Those old days of I buy Charmin because my mom bought Charmin, those are gone. And that's one of the struggles that consumer product goods are experiencing when I talked about earlier of trying to figure out 
a new path forward for them in the digital world, when 40% of their consumers don't care what brand anything is, that's a tough place to be. So as Generation Z matriculates and comes into that era that everybody was afraid about millennials five or seven years ago, it'll be curious to see what the impacts of the current financial crisis is on their long-term uh, growth, because it's hitting at a slightly different place than millennials were. Millennials were hit by the 2008 crisis as they were graduating college and moving into the workforce. This current crisis is hitting Generation Z while they're still in high school. So it might hit them in a different way, but change behaviors, but not long-term benefits and long-term abilities to grow. So it's gonna be tricky to see. However, one piece of it is everything's gonna be mobile. If I can't interact with you on my phone or mobile device or whatever 5G enabled thing I have in the next three to five years, I'm not gonna do business with you. And that is one solid piece that I would, I would take, write a check and take that to the bank today. No way that they're gonna have the traditional, I have to go to a store or go to a brick and mortar thing in order to do business. Zero way that's gonna happen. Well, I think that was a great note to end on. This was a great conversation, John, and it was lovely to have you here. I'm happy that we were able to do this virtually, but I do hope we can be in person soon. So thanks for being here. And thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to check out some of our other episodes exclusively on Digital Diary.